Pastor Ed Taylor on where to find true satisfaction in life. The world's always trying to tell us, this is how you're supposed to be happy. This is what makes for a good marriage. This is what makes for a good home. If your hair was this color, things would be great. If you drive this car, if you drank this alcohol, if you made this much money, then everything would be perfect. Listen, you don't need to drink from the wells of the world. You'll never be satisfied drinking from the wells of success or popularity or power. Jesus offers you a living water flowing not just into you, but out of you. It's a love that God has lavishly supplied to us, His agape love. This is amazing grace. If you want a good picture of what love is, look no further than God Himself. He not only demonstrated His love to us through the sending of His Son to this earth, but lavishly pours out His love into our hearts once we believe. And it gets even better. God wants to enable and empower you to love like He loves. We'll hear all about it today on Abounding Grace as we dive deeper into Romans 5. Join us at verse 5 as Pastor Ed Taylor describes the lavish love of God. He begins in 1 John 4. Flip over to 1 John, would you please, in chapter 4. God initiated the relationship with us. We didn't initiate it with Him. No, much rather when God initiates the relationship with us, we find a group of people that's really not that interested. It's a church and God, what am I going to do with that? I've got a good thing going here. But God, he reached down anyway. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. Love came down before it went up. It's incredible. What an incredible truth. In verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love, circle this, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Let's read that together. You ready? We love him. That's right. We love because he first loved. We love because not only did he first love us, but he poured out, he lavishly supplied that very love inside of us, not from the outside. He poured it in by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. You can jot it down. In Acts chapter 2, there was a promise that his spirit would be poured out on people in the last days. It says that his Holy Spirit in Titus chapter 3 was poured out on us abundantly. In Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. He poured out on us abundantly. Let me give you a picture of what that looks like. Flip back to John's gospel chapter 7. Jesus is there at the, during the Feast of Tabernacles and he stands up and he cries out in the midst of the feast 
And he cries out to everyone that's thirsty. And there's many thirsty people today. You might describe yourself as a thirsty person today in, in your life spiritually. You're thirsty. You're not exactly sure what you're thirsty for, but you've been drinking from the wells of this world and your thirst has been quenched. You might be very, very good at what you do and that has seemed to quench your thirst, but it seems to never be enough. You might be in a new relationship right now and you're so excited about it. It's a great relationship. You go, well, now my thirst is quenched, but I'll tell you that relationship's not gonna fully quench the thirst that you're sensing. Jesus, he cries out in verse 37 on that last day, that great day of the feast, this is John 7, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This world will not satisfy that thirst. Oh, you say, Pastor Ed, no, it does satisfy. I'm satisfied right now. If you are not content in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are experiencing a false satisfaction. It will wane and go away. Jesus, he says, if you're thirsting and you sense it, you come to me. Jesus says, and then I, I'll give you. He says, verse 38, he believes in me as the scripture has said, the promise of God's word. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And verse 39 says he spoke concerning the spirit. Jesus was in no, with no uncertain terms saying that he was the Messiah and the source for all satisfaction. And it wasn't temporary source, but through this new relationship, out of you, out of me, will flow these rivers of living water, constantly living a satisfied life. Jesus is talking about that deep spiritual thirst, a universal thirst that every person has in their heart to be right with God, their loving creator. Deep down inside, we all need God and his provision of forgiveness through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you, man, man is trying as hard as he can to live apart from God and still be satisfied. Man is still trying to do as much as he or she can possibly do apart from Jesus Christ and still have that sense that I'm satisfied. That's why there's so much addiction going on because they're getting attached to something that is giving them a temporary sense of satisfaction. We see people all over trying to satisfy that thirst with physical things. Do you know our friends on Madison Avenue, Avenue in New York City do a good job of both creating the thirst and providing something that they think or they want us to think will satisfy. Have you noticed that? You know, Madison Avenue represents advertising. That's where many of the advertising executives are. Advertising is very, very interesting. Not only do they create a thirst, but many times in creating that thirst in our mind, we would look at something and go, I didn't even know I was thirsty for that. I didn't know I needed that. Great example for me is because I'm running around all the time and my schedule is full, I, I need a, a phone that, that I can carry around that has my contacts and my appointment and actually make phone calls, you know? So I have one like that. I can make phone calls on it, has my calendar on it, has everything I need to know so that when I'm away, I can get in contact with whoever I need to get in contact with. But then I was just kind of minding my own business, working one day, and the announcement came. The new iPhone. Man, have you seen the new iPhone? I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I had my phone in my hand and the iPhone over here, I mean, it was like pretend over here and I'm like, hmm, it does all that? Yeah, mine doesn't do that, mine doesn't do that. Oh, wow, I didn't even know I wanted an iPhone until they told me I wanted one. <laughs> and it was neat because we don't have that cell service, so right away, that's a closed door. But the Lord was just speaking to me, Ed, you're just not satisfied with your phone, are you? 
I said, no, Lord, is it okay? I can't be satisfied with my phone. You know, they made a better one. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, and that's not for you. I know it may not be any big deal with a cell phone, but it's a heart issue. If I'm always running after the latest gadget, if I'm never satisfied with what I have, if that's your life, you're always running after the latest thing, and what you have really isn't what you really want, you always have to have the latest and greatest, you're never satisfied with that, I promise you it'll spill over into your spiritual life. And you'll find yourself with all of the riches of Jesus Christ at your disposal, and you'll come to me and say, I'm not satisfied with Jesus. And as we trace it back, I tell you, you probably saw the same iPhone commercial that I did. And it stirred up in you the flesh that Jesus isn't enough, that where you live isn't enough for you, the car you drive isn't enough for you, the clothes God's blessed you with isn't enough for you. Oh, I know that God moves us on and he blesses us with different things. That's not what I'm speaking of. I'm speaking about that internal stirring that we're just not satisfied with our lot in life, with where God has clearly placed us. The world's always trying to tell us, this is how you're supposed to be happy. This is what makes for a good marriage. This is what makes for a good home. If your hair was this color, things would be great. If you drive this car, if you drank this alcohol, if you made this much money, then everything would be perfect. Listen, you don't need to drink from the wells of the world. You'll never be satisfied drinking from the wells of success or popularity or power. Jesus offers you a living water flowing not just into you, but out of you. It's a love that God has lavishly supplied to us, his agape love. I love that. Did you know that true love is never passive? Flip over it again to 1 John chapter 4. True love is never passive. It is always active. The mark of the Christian believer is an active love, always looking for someone to express love to, always looking for someone to serve, always looking for someone to say, look what God has done in my life. I then want to do this in your life. True love is never passive. It's always active. It's always looking for an outlet in the Christian's life to be active. Now notice verse 7, chapter 4 of 1 John. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do you know that John, as he pens this, do you know he had a nickname within the early church? you know what that nickname was? He was the beloved apostle, or he was also known as the apostle that Jesus loved. Isn't that a great title? You know how we know that John was the apostle that Jesus loved? He told us. <laughs> he wanted us to know. He says, I just want to let you know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I don't know about those other guys, but I had this relationship with Jesus. I think it was a very sweet relationship. I think it was a very wonderful relationship. But God did a work in John's heart. He used to be a son of thunder, wanting to call fire down and destroy people. But now, he's the apostle of love. And in 1 John, he says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation 
or the covering or the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, this is verse 11, the key. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's something we ought to do. It's something that we will do as the love of God flows in our hearts and in our lives. The ought to's in scripture, do you know that they're called, technically they're called divine imperatives. You know what that means in our regular everyday language? It's a command to follow. We're to divinely follow through with the power of God, with his commands, and his command is to love. Just like God has loved you, now you and I, we are to love one another. One of the sad parts of the ministry that God has entrusted to my care is I watch marriages dissolve. I see it happen. There are many times when I'm the last person to see it happen. It was the last resort. Let's go make an appointment with the pastor. We, we, we are so bad. And even if their hearts are soft enough to come sit with me, I mean, they got in the door. But then what I find out in my office is that the marriage just went downhill so fast. And now the hearts are so hard. Is really literally going to take a miracle to save this marriage. And by the way, God is in the business of producing miracles and saving marriages. So that's encouraging. But marriages do, do go downhill. They'll even come to a point, I'll find, where they'll express in such a way to describe their hard heart to me and they'll say something like, I don't love him anymore. And I don't love her anymore. I just can't. I can't love her anymore. I can't love him after what has happened. And often what I found is that when we express the can'ts, I can't love him, we're actually expressing the words, I won't love him. I've chosen not to. For all the things that have happened, I'm not going to love him or her anymore. And love often goes downhill because there isn't that outward demonstration. And they get to the point where hearts are hard. But see, I also have a different perspective being that third party objective person that's in the room with them. I know that as a marriage describes that to me and, and they're sharing some of their hearts and some difficult words, I know that it wasn't too many years ago that it wasn't that way in their marriage. It wasn't that way at all. No, as a matter of fact, on the wedding day, it was one of the most exciting days in their life. It was one of those days when everything was expecting something great. Everyone wanted, this is going to be great. My life is going to change. I love her. She loves me. They get married. They go, go off on their honeymoon, which is awesome. They come back to live, and it's great. I love you, honey. I love you, too, you know. And then you're faced with, man, he left the toilet seat up again. But I love him, you know. I'm glad he left the toilet seat up. And then, you guys, you're eating your eggs, and you're eating, eating, and it's all crunchy, crunchy eggs. Crunchy eggs, that's not the kind of eggs I'm used to, but, but I love her, honey. You put as many eggshells in those eggs that you want to, because I love you. And that's how the relationship was going back and forth. You were making allowances for each other's faults and failures. You were overlooking them. It was so unconditional in the beginning, wasn't it? It wasn't that big a deal. But over time, well, over time, that relationship started to harden hearts. And now the conclusion is, I can't love him. I can't love her. Now, those of you that aren't married, this applies in so many different ways. There's so many times I see friendships, even within the church, I don't like them anymore. I mean, to the point where some people won't even come to the same service anymore. Or they'll leave a church, I don't like them anymore. Well, why don't you like them? Well, they did such and such and so and so. And why don't you forgive them? I can't forgive them. Oh, really? Are you sure you're not saying you won't forgive them? You can't forgive them. You sure we can't walk through this together? 
You sure the Holy Spirit can't just soften your heart? Are you sure that we just can't sit down together like God tells us through Isaiah? He says, come let us reason together. Can't we reason together? Can't we give God a chance to work here? Can't we soften our hearts? Paul would even say it this way to the Corinthian believers. Why won't you just be wronged? I'll tell you why I won't be wrong, because I can tend to be in the flesh and want to defend myself. I want every wrong to be righted in my life, this side of eternity, when the truth is every wrong in my life won't be righted this side of eternity. That my trust and my hope is in Jesus Christ. He's my strength. He's my help. He's my hope. And there are times in my life where I must and you must come to the conclusion that I've been wronged and God's got my back. And I'm going to love you even if I've been wronged, even if you've made a mistake toward me, even if you've hurt me. That's the mark of true agape love. Whether it's in a marriage or in a friendship, whether you're hard-hearted toward your boss or your in-laws, it's time to turn the love back on in the relationship and become a vessel. It's not a matter of I can't, but when I begin to think of I can'ts, I'm reminded of this passage. Would you turn over with me to Luke chapter 6 as we close today? Because certainly we do face situations in our life that are seemingly impossibilities. And maybe love in your life is an impossibility right now. Whenever I start to think about the I can'ts in my life, I'm reminded of this little snippet of the life Jesus with this man in Luke chapter 6 that had a withered hand. And we pick up in the story in verse 6 of Luke chapter 6 where Jesus comes and he is going to be used, this man is going to be used mightily to paint us a picture. I draw your attention to verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had had the withered hand, Arise, stand here. And he arose and stood. Pause there for a second. Understand this. The command to arise and come to Jesus is no big deal. You know why? Because the man doesn't have a problem with his legs. His legs are fine. He can walk. He can move around. He can get up. He can sit down. This command, very easy command. Hey, come on over here. I want you to get up. Get up. Get up. Come over here. And he's like, okay, no problem. I'll get up, no problem. I'll, I'll come over to you, Jesus. And there's the scene. The scene here is this man with a withered hand. He comes to Jesus. And notice, verse 9, Jesus said to them, he says, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. That's a different kind of command. You know what kind of command that is? That is a command to do the impossible. Can you imagine how many millions of times this poor man from his mind sent the signal down his right arm to his right hand to say, move, only to find out it didn't move. And he tried and he tried, move. Maybe he woke up every morning, move today, it wouldn't move. He would wake up from a nap, I wonder if my hand will move. Oh, it's not going to move today. Coming to that point where he finally decided, he finally resigned himself. I've got a withered hand. I'm going to live with it the rest of my life. And Jesus, I love what he does here. First, he gives a command that's encouraging and easy. As the burdens of the Lord are easy. They're not heavy. 
And so he draws us gently. He draws us lovingly. He draws us with these cords of love. And he says, come on to me. Come to me. Come here. You want to follow me? Come to me. You want to, if you're thirsty, you want to drink? Come to me. And we say, okay, Lord, we're there. And then once we get there, what does he do? He tells us to do the impossible. Love them. Oh, no, Lord. I've sent the command a million times from my mind to my heart. And uh-uh, no, no, I can't. No, no, I can't. No, 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 there's, I can't. Really? You see, in those times when your love is withered up and you're sensing a paralyzing feeling and struggling with this, Jesus, he enters in and he draws us near. And with the impossibility, I'm sure this guy could have said, no way, what? what? My withered hand, does anybody know you see it? Everybody around here knows. I've never moved my hand. I'm never going to move my hand. Why would you tell me? Are you trying to hurt my feelings? Are you trying to embarrass me? Are you trying to make me a spectacle? But he didn't say that. I'm sure on the other end, he could have looked at Jesus with a tear in his eye. I'm sure he could have said, but but Jesus, what are you trying to do? Don't, Don't you know? Don't you know how it happened? Don't you know that I've tried? Don't you know that it's impossible? Don't you? I mean, come on. He could have just fall right in front of Jesus, weeping in tears because he's tried this time and time again. But he does neither one of those things. What does he do? Well, mark these four words, will you? In verse 10, Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and he did so. Isn't that encouraging? He did it. You see, when Jesus, when Jesus tells us to do something, he enables us to do it. You're not on your own. The love of God has been poured out in your heart. It's not even your love. It's the love of God flowing through you. It's a fruit of his spirit. He tells you to do something impossible. The area that we wrestle the most with is in our minds. If I can get you to change your mind about something and have a biblical approach, then the rest is going to be easy. You see, in the moment, in the moment he decided to obey, that millisecond that he said, okay, one more time, I'm going to send the signal to my hand to move one more time, one more time. Okay, I'm going to give you that chance one more time. The second, the very millisecond that he made that decision, God empowered him and his hand was restored. That is the power of God, my friends, that he has poured out into our hearts for every impossibility, including this lack of love that we might have. You see, as you purpose in your heart to obey the Lord and to love with the very love that he poured out lavishly in your heart, as you purpose in your heart, as you make the decision, let me tell you what's going to happen. In that millisecond, God is going to enable you and empower you and give you the very love that you think that you don't have. And unity And notice, it says in verse 10, he did so and his hand was restored. (laughs) Isn't that great? Restoration, that not all is lost. That the lavish love of God in your life has been poured in you and upon you. And listen, the love of God is unquestionable. It is very foundational. And he is the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going and growing through a study of Romans right now. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through either of our apps. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through as we begin a new year. Well, here in the month of January, we picked out an excellent one written by Warren Wiersbe. It ties in quite nicely to our current study, too. It's called On Being a Servant of God. Sometimes we lose sight of what ministry and service is all about as we get overwhelmed by the pressures and the needs that surround us. Be encouraged and strengthened by the wisdom that Warren Wiersbe shares in this easy-to-read book. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for On Being a Servant of God. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of Romans. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.